Welcome to the Apologist Bookshelf. I'm Gary Zacharias. I wanted to introduce a book to you written by two prolific authors. One is Sean McDowell. The other is J. Warner Wallace. Uh, Sean, you probably have heard of. Uh, he's done some really wonderful things. He helped his dad in an updated version of Evidence That Demands a Verdict. Uh, he's a professor of apologetics at Talbot, up at Biola blogs a lot. He speaks all over the place, does a lot of YouTube work. Uh, a neat guy. He's come to our church in the past, and we got a chance to talk to him and, and work with him as he presented something to the entire congregation. The other author is J. Warner Wallace, a cold case homicide detective. What a background. He's brought his set of skills to Christianity. And again, he's come to our church and spoken and uh, he's a, now a professor, and he speaks all over the world. Uh, he's written some wonderful books, Cold Case Christianity, God's Crime Scene, Forensic Faith. So the two of them got together, and you just know that if those two work on a book, it's going to be good. This one is called So the Next Generation Will Know. So the Next Generation Will Know. Subtitled, Preparing Young Christians for a Challenging World. Whoa, no kidding. Challenging world. That's... Uh, putting it mildly, huh? So he's, they, they said at the beginning, I, I like what they've said here. They want to give you an idea of what they're up to. It says, we wrote this book to show you, the reader, how to teach the truth of Christianity to the next generation. So this is for, the, they say, four particular groups of people, parents, youth workers, Christian educators, and people who love young people and recognize all the difficulties that they have facing them. So just to give you an idea of the chapters, then we'll focus on one. It says, uh, chapter one, do you love me? And love responds. And then love understands, love relates, love equips, love trains, love ignites. Uh, some really, really good things in here. I'm just going to take the first chapter, I think, because that's such a powerful opener. It says, do you love me? And it's making young people our priority. And they start with something very depressing, and I've heard this from so many other places, that young people in America and Europe are leaving the Christian church at a huge rate. It is. It's really sad. And it says, we all have somebody in our lives that we know about who's walked away from the truth. I have. I've seen it happen. I used to work with a youth group at a church when our kids were younger, and I know several of them that have walked away. So they're going to focus on Generation Z, in particular, they said the youngest generation in America is quickly becoming the largest one. These would be people born between 2000 and uh, 2015. So they call them Gen Z, sometimes post-millennials. The app generation, that's probably a good one. The selfie generation, yeah, that's a good one. So they said it's a problem. They're the least religious of all generations in America and they've done all sorts of studies that suggest something like 50 to 70% of young Christians are walking away from the church by the time they're in college. 50 to 70%. I used to use a statistic when I would report on things like this of losing one in four or one in three. Well, they're talking over half. Well, they want to tell you what are some of the reasons that they're giving? Why have they left the church? And I think it's worthwhile, if you don't mind me doing this, I want to give you some of the reasons that they said, some of the more popular reasons from different studies. Some stuff is too far-fetched for me to believe. Too many questions that can't be answered. 
Let me stop there for just a minute. Isn't that sad? Too many questions that can't be answered. Here's the problem with that. These questions have answers. There are answers for each and every one of them, but they haven't heard them. People have not said anything to them. They've just said, oh, you need more faith, or ask the pastor, or they've anyway, they've passed the buck there, and that's just a shame. Here's another one. I'm a scientist now, and I don't believe in miracles. Oh, I just realized somewhere along the line, I just didn't really believe it. I grew up and I realized it was a story like Santa or the Easter Bunny. Here's another one. As I learn more about the world around me and understand things that I once did not, I find a thought of an all-powerful being to be less and less believable. How about this one? I realize that religion is in complete contradiction with the rational and scientific world. And to continue to subscribe to a religion would be hypocritical. Well, good for them. You know, I think that's great that they don't want to be a hypocrite. But the idea that religion contradicts with a rational and scientific world. So basically they're saying Christianity is irrational and Christianity is in conflict with science. Absolutely not true. And uh, if you've read anything in the field, you know that's not the case. But isn't that sad? That's what they're walking away, believing. How about this one? I have a hard time believing that a good God would allow so much evil or suffering in the world. Well, that one I get. That is a hard one. That's something everybody has to wrestle with. How about somebody that knows a little bit of history? Here's what another person said. There are too many injustices in the history of Christianity. Or how about something personal? I had a bad experience at church with a Christian. So, did you notice many of those responses involve some kind of unanswered intellectual skepticism? And of course, they do cite hypocrisy and bad behavior. And here's while, here's something I thought was really interesting. Most young people are not, according to Wallace and uh, McDowell, they're not leaving the church when they get to college and go, oh, I didn't know that. I guess I'll walk away from Christianity. It says most young people are abandoning a Christian faith while they're still at home with their parents. Still at home. Wow. But here's the good news. That, right? It's one of those things, I've got some bad news, I've got some good news. So a lot of people are walking away. Okay, but they have a subtitle here, The Future is Still Bright. People are not leaving God. They're leaving Christianity. That's a difference. So they said young people who leave the church are still interested in spiritual things. And uh, these two authors claim that the act of listening is the core of the solution. Young people are looking for reasonable explanations and authentic relationships. So not just answers, but people that care about them. In fact, they did another big study involving over 3,500 grandparents, parents, grandchildren, and great-grandchildren. And what they found out, they did this big study out of USC, that no matter what the religion was, but as long as there was a warm relationship with the parents and especially the dad, that was the single most important factor in keeping their faith. He also found out that having good relationships with grandparents and the wider religious community were important to keep the faith going through the next generation. So here I am. I love apologetics. I love rationality. I love reading and wrestling with these issues. But did you hear that? The, a warm relationship in the home, especially with the dad, is the single most important way to keep kids on track. So he says God is, uh, they said God is calling us to truth 
and relationship. Kids need relationships, no doubt about it, but they need truth as well. So they said books, and of course they're writers, they write a lot of books. Books can only provide truth. If you don't have a personal relationship, they just have truth. But people have said, well, what do I need to do to help my son or daughter answer questions they have? I got to strengthen my relationships with my kids. So they said, get ready, come on. You need to commit yourselves to this task. And so they said, start early. It says, polls show that most young people in America become Christians before the age of 15. Start early. They said, even before your kids can verbalize questions. And could I point out at this time, I'm going to be referring to a woman named Natasha Crane and some of her books. She has gotten big into this area of giving kids, while they're still in the home, giving them good answers to questions and even creating the questions in case they're not ready to formulate them yet. We've got to do that. We have to start really, really early. We can't wait until they're 16, 17, 18, getting ready to head off somewhere and then say, oh, I better do some apologetics. That's a little bit late. They said something else we need to do is tackle the tough issues. So here's some examples. If kids ask you things like this, what scientific proof do you have that God exists? Why should I believe in miracles? Well, if evolution is true, why should I believe in God? Why am I going to believe in faith when I could use reason? Why should I trust what you or my pastor has to say about Christianity? How is believing in God any different from believing in Santa Claus or the Easter Bunny? Why is it that science contradicts the claims of Christianity? How can I be sure Jesus really rose from the grave? Hey, if Christianity is true, why are there so many Christian hypocrites? Why is the history of Christianity filled with so much violence? Why should I care about any of this to begin with? They said, these are the kinds of questions we need to be prepared to answer if we want to help young people find the truth and follow the Savior. Those are huge, aren't they? That's so important. We have to be patient with ourselves, they point out, if we don't have all the right answers. For heaven's sakes, that's pretty discouraging. You look at that list of questions and think, well, how would I do trying to answer those? They said, please, please, please be patient if you don't have all the answers or if people are not taking your answers and going, oh, okay, that makes sense. They may process it for some time. So just do your job. I try to point that out in other talks I give. Uh, our job is just to be faithful. It's up to God to move the hearts. All we have to do is plant the seed. God will do the harvesting. And so they said, do your job. Study to be approved. Speak the truth. Love young people. The rest is in God's timing. I really like those short sentences. I'm an English teacher, so I like to see uh, stylistic devices. Now, they, they write these beautiful long sentences, but then they just hit those short, punchy sentences. Do your job. Study to be approved. Speak the truth. Love young people. Then they said, you know, a lot of these responses from young people are centered on broken relationships. And it said it's pretty easy to lean on truth-telling rather than building relationships. It says stay balanced. It's truth and relationship. Those two things go together. And they said our model for teaching apologetics and the Christian worldview is anchored and rooted in a uniquely Christian approach that unites truth to relationship, law to grace, justice to mercy. And that's interesting that I'm hearing Sean say this because his dad used to say the same thing, that if you don't teach truth without love, if you don't have a relationship, it's going nowhere. 
it's kind of like standing on the street corner just yelling out Christian truths. You know, if you don't have a relationship with somebody, that may not do it. All right, let me go back then. This is all in chapter uh, 1, section 1, chapter 1. And the other thing that they do that I think is really effective is they have little columns on the sides of the main sections of the chapters. So, for example, they say something like, uh, today we've got the internet. And they said, skeptics can come right into the home now. And they said, for this reason, we should be expecting that the objections that we're hearing from young people are going to be more articulate and well-researched so that we have to have better responses. We can't just say because the Bible says so. We've got to have good responses. Then they have another little column off to the side that says, if you're a parent, ask some questions. Like, what do you think is the most difficult thing about believing in Christianity? Or, of all the things the pastor said today, what seemed to be the most difficult to believe? Or, this, this would be a great lunch discussion around the table, what's your biggest question or doubt about Christianity? What do your skeptical friends say about Christianity? And they offer some advice to parents. Don't rush to respond. Just be a good listener. And use that data to figure out your own studies. And I said, make a list, maybe of the questions you uh, want to be able to answer for your kids. Begin to research what the answers would be. So all along here, they give you little things. Here's one if you're a youth pastor or a minister. Here's something you could do. It says, maybe you have your weeknight uh, meetings. It said, in one church, they implemented something called a You Ask It bag. Just a big paper shopping bag. Students could anonymously drop questions in there about anything they wanted. And then it said they'd gather around the bag and begin drawing out questions. And it says, if you want to use this approach, you might want to seed the bag with some of the common objections we've listed in this chapter. So students who might be kind of hesitant can at least hear a, a response, especially if they don't put anything in there themselves. So I like that. I thought that was a good idea. Another little section, what if you're a Christian educator? It says, well, invite kids to raise questions during one of your classes. Uh, consider asking for responses to questions like this. If you could ask God one question, what would it be? Or if you could ask God to explain one confusing thing, what would it be? So if you're an educator, there's some other things that you can do. There's another little side section that says something timeless. <clears throat> and they refer to 1 Peter 3.15. Pretty important verse when it comes to apologetics. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason, for the hope that's in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. So it says Peter encourages the readers definitely to defend the truth, but in the context of a relationship. We're commanded to answer the person who asks, not just answering, but to be gentle and respectful. So that's a powerful engagement device. And then toward the end of the chapter, I like what they've done there. They have a little thing called something time-worthy and some spaces to answer these questions. What idea most resonated with you as you read the chapter? What concepts are worthy of consideration? A little space, you can jot some answers. Here's the second question. With whom could you... Or should you share this concept or information? And another section there. So, again, I highly recommend this book. Lee Strobel said this about it. Remember, the title is, So the Next Generation Will Know. McDowell and Wallace are the authors. Here's what Lee Strobel, of course, he's a bestseller, wrote The Case for Christ, among others. He said, This may be the most important Christian book of the year. 
What's more vital than understanding how to teach the truth of Christianity to the next generation? After all, we're just one generation away from losing the faith completely among the next uh, set of people. So we've got to keep them. And this book is a good start on that. I highly recommend this. All right, well, thanks for listening and talk to you next time.